The views and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entity or organizations. You are listening to the podcast, Tea and Talk, presented to inform, educate, inspire, and encourage meaningful conversations on Bahamian arts and culture. My name is Robert Bain, dancer, teacher, choreographer, and someone who believes in the preservation of all things Bahamian. I am sitting down with persons of like mind to discuss the Bahamian perspective on the arts and the Bahamian way. Now, let's welcome our guest. Welcome to Tea and Talk. My name is Robert Bain, and this program, this podcast, is emanating from Nassau, Bahamas, uh, one of those uh, 700 islands in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas, where we boast of 16 inhabited islands that's uh, inhabited by the persons that live on them. Um, but I think they said it's a bit more um, of late, uh, I think 30, because persons have purchased their own keys. But we are 700 island of, of, um, islands and keys. And we're beautiful. We have beautiful people. We have beautiful weather. Weather, even though today it's like 75 degrees out there, it's a little rainy or overcast, but uh, it's a beautiful day. Now, I always like to to say to my audience uh, the purpose of this particular podcast, and this podcast was designed to inform, to educate, um, to talk about the things that impede our development. Or to talk about those things that we're happy with, you know. Um, so, tea and talk—that's what—that's what it's all about. And at the end of the podcast, it is hope that you'll be smarter for listening. Today, you know, I like to share a cup of tea with my um, my guests. And today we're having Sweet Margaret. Now, I'm not a doctor, but this particular um, tea. Uh, it's like a wild guava. Uh, it has long been a, a shrub used in the Bahamas for treating various ailments. It has white flowers and dark red berries. Native to the Bahamas, Mexico, and South Florida, Sweet Margaret is particularly effective as a soothing tea when dealing with, they say, support nervous function, improved memory and focus, improving back strength. <laughs> Treating colds, treating diarrhea, um, stomach aches. It's an anti-cancer agent, and it's a male aphrodisiac. That's the part that I was getting about this too, but it's pretty good. Today we have a guest uh, in the studio, in Dance Bahamas studio, that is. Uh, let me tell you about this guest. This guest um, is a Bahamian. Uh, I met this guest uh, many years ago. I'm not going to say how many years, but I, I met him as a student. I think he could not be no more than about 14, 15 years old. Um, and he himself spent uh, a period, well, he's still a dancer. Um, focus has changed, but that's what happened to a lot of dancers. You know, dancers are very intelligent people, very smart people, and the tend to... <clears throat> go into different areas sometimes. But uh, I'm going to allow this awesome person in the name of Sean Toussaint to to tell you a bit about himself. But I first met Sean at the, as a student at the AFRD Senior High School. 
and Sean has basically just taught the world, and he presently lives in Denmark. Now, let me tell you what this young man I know, um, he, I thought he was always good in languages, and I think he spoke Spanish, he spoke German, um, I think he spoke Dane, um, he spoke, he'll tell you some languages he spoke, but that was always one of his, his things, and I remember him working with him many years ago in a show that he, he was just practicing some of the, these languages because this was where he was going to go at some point. So I want to welcome to Tea and Talk, Mr. Sean Toussaint. Sean, welcome to Tea and Talk. Well, Mr. Bain, it's certainly um, wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Yeah. So when was the last time you were home, man? <laughs> that was about uh, two years ago. Um, actually, a little over two years ago, because I was home uh, um, in the summer of... My math is not very good. That's right. Um, yeah, I was in uh, two years ago from uh, this summer in July. Okay. Yeah. And, and that was... And tell us where you live, Sean, where you live now. Well, um, at present, I live in Copenhagen, and uh, that's, it's a long story how I get how I got there, but uh, uh, the basic idea is that I moved to America to experience myself as a dancer, and uh, I felt that after I um, uh, got that behind me that I needed to go to Mother Europe to explore uh, the area um, that they say basically civilized the Western world. <laughs> so I wanted to immerse myself in all those cultures. Like you yeah. said, I, I've always had an affinity for learning languages. You remember backstage, I was yes. <laughs> uh, getting on you guys' nerves, um, uh, speaking Spanish and German, German and yes. all these yeah, Absolutely. languages. But yeah. it, it paid off because um, in the beginning, I, I um, was living in the United States at that time. Um, in the 90s where I was dancing with the St. Louis Ballet. Mm -hmm. That was after I, w I got a scholarship to study ballet at the Dance Theatre of Harlem. Mm -hmm. um, actually, when I started at the Dance Theatre of Harlem, it was pretty late. I was uh, 25 years old. I got a, I got a very good, um, uh, solid training there. But I, th I thought that um, I, needed to be, uh, I needed to be intelligent about wh uh, what possibilities I had in the future. Mm -hmm. So I decided that I would try to take an opportunity, uh, which I did. I got a job in uh, Detroit working in a first-year ballet company. And we all, I remember when we got there, we all started at the, um, say at the same rank because we were first-year company. And um, then it just happened that um, we were supposed to be um, uh, working on... Uh, a modern ballet piece, Camino Burana, mm -hmm. and I was supposed to be the understudy for yes. for the lead. And it, and there was this, you know, um, I was the darkest one in our company, and then there was a light-skinned American guy, mm -hmm. and he was pretty um, uh, popular with the director. Um, he um, learned the things, and I learned the things on the sideline. And I remember in the evenings, I came back to the studio with one of my um, friends from New York, white American friends from New York, and he um, uh, watched how I was doing the things, and he said, oh, Sean, yeah, that's good, that's good, mm -hmm. that's good. And when the choreographer, that is the person who was responsible for uh, setting the choreography on us, when he came from Venezuela, his name was Ofer Sachs, he looked at the first cast, which there was a guy, this light-skinned guy who was a little shorter with his partner, and he, 
he observed the whole thing, and at the end he asked, isn't there anybody else that can do this? And then I creeped out of the corner at, with my partner, and we said yes. And from that day on, the other couple, the light-skinned guy and his partner, they never got a chance to do it ever again. Well, let me say, on that same, um, there's a picture in my book that's, that's coming out in, in November. It's called Profiles of the Hamian Dance, the Dance and the Dancers. And Sean is in that book. Uh, and there's a photograph of him per uh, performing in Carmen Verena. Yeah. Sean, <coughs> I, um, you've, had a f you ha you've had a fascinating career. Um, and you were around in, uh, in the time, during the time, when, when dancers were interested in dance. There was something that drew you to, to wanting to be a dancer. What was that? Well, um, if I were to um, um, reflect on um, what was the motivation for me getting into it, I remember when I was about um, five or six years old, I think, um, my aunt, my grandmother, she encouraged my aunt, oh, Paula, take Sean to that performance. No, it was a beauty pageant that my cousin was in. Mm -hmm. at, it was at Miss C.H. Reeves. And it was there that I was introduced to art for the first time. Who was singing? Because Abigail Shallow was the Miss C.H. Reeves from the previous year. Oh, yeah. That was the very first time I was a very young child. I saw Abigail Shallow, and I was incredibly fascinated. And then there was another um, uh, young girl. She was, um, there was a teacher at Essie McPherson. I can't remember what her name was. Um, she had short hair, but she had a um, star pupil. Her name was Cicely. And she was dancing native Bahamian dance with um, raffia skirts. And it was the first time I saw this. I must have been about five or six years old. I don't remember. And I became totally fascinated with it. The next day, I came home and I had my um, and had my brother and sister all dressed up in my mother's clothes <laughs> and lipstick <laughs> and everything, and you know <laughs> that didn't go down too well. It wasn't a negative thing, but then I got a few names out of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Where, yeah, where, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that was basically um, uh, the inspiration started there, and then um, uh, during my early teens, my mother would take me to the Lions Club, which was basically. Um, a place where people, she worked um, at Lifeworky at the time. People from Lifeworky, they would get together and have uh, social gatherings where they had um, dance competitions. And uh, at one time, I won the dance competition there, and then that um, inspired me. And then I um, uh, got into um, um, uh, high school and started um, uh, dancing there. And it was basically a continuation of that which was born in me when I first saw Abigail Shallow uh, oh, and the other girl dancing. Mm -hmm. I knew right away, I was only five or six years old, I knew right away that that was something that I wanted to do. I just didn't know where to go to, to find to, a way to release that expression in right. myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <coughs> well, that is, that, is, that is amazing because I, I met you uh, as a student at, uh, like I say, at the um, AF Adley's um, Senior High School back in the day. It was you and, and Patrick, actually. Yes. And uh, um, prior to me coming into your life, there was Mr. Carroll. Yes. Right, and I think he, he also afforded you guys the opportunity to actually travel at one point, uh, uh, making it, uh, exposing you to, 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 to the outside world, all right? Um, 
And, uh, but I remember coming in contact with you and, and, and Patrick, um, and then you guys uh, folded me to the dance, uh, dance, uh, the dance center yes. that was on uh, Elizabeth Avenue uh, upstairs, up on the third floor. I had a, I, I had a, um, uh, a spot up there. Uh, it was like a loft, eh? It was a loft. That's where, that's where we we connected. And I I remember that the, these two young guys they they would actually they just they were passionate about what they they wanted to do. They were quite sure of what it is that they wanted to do, and they were uh, they would come to my house actually. Um, Patrick and his mother's little wagon will come to my house, and they go you know they needed me to teach them, and that kind of uh, uh, attitude. Uh, don't exist anymore. And uh, I learned something just recently. Uh, I was talking to uh, one, another former student of mine, Sarah Kroll, that lives in California. And um, my question to her was, what is it that, that keeps dancers away, the interest from classical ballet, the interest away from dance, the male dancers, um, we always know that there was a shortage of them. But what is it that actually, in your opinion, that, that causes people not wanting to study classical ballet or not wanting to be a part of it? What is it that caused parents to say to children, um, I don't want you to be no dancer? Well, I think I'd like to start on a positive note by saying what is it that actually caused us to um, uh, be, want to be a part of it? I think we were very fortunate that we um, uh, came into a time where we actually had some role models, right. like yourself, Mr. Carroll, and those that came uh, after you guys. We f we fed off of that energy, and we fed off of the energy that we we of inspiration that we got from one another. Right. Like you mentioned, Patrick Johnson, who was um, basically um, a principal dancer at, at the a, Dance Theatre of Harlem. He was he was. He was absolutely brilliant. Yes. When I saw him there, I couldn't even believe that mm -hmm. he had acquired such um, uh, skills in mm -hmm. performance. He mm -hmm. was absolutely astounding. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is, Patrick and I, we fed off of one another. We had the drive. I said I wanted, and he wanted, and we just kept uh, feeding off of one another. Right. I remember, though, that uh, there was one point where um, Patrick was elevated to a point that made me reflect on uh, the idea that maybe um, I wasn't cut out for dance because I remember we both uh, went over. We were both, I think I was 15 and he was 16 or something like that. We were both very young. Mm -hmm. And we both went to um, audition for Dazzling Deceptions in the Le Cabaret. And Patrick, he was strong enough. I was... I was I, I um, uh, didn't have the physical prowess at that time. Mm. I was a, a, a bit weaker, so I didn't get the job. And, and besides that, I was also very incredibly skinny. Mm -hmm. um, and then that made me think, perhaps, but I kept going um, because I had the drive uh, for it. And I knew that um, uh, we both had the talent, so at one point, we'd, uh, we'd both find our way through it. And mm. I think it's basically that, that we grew up in a time where we were fortunate that there were role models enough, no matter what people said, that actually um, convinced us by 
by being able to see that they were capable of um, um, expressing themselves through dance as men and there was nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. And we knew we had the talent so we could feed off of that. And right. that's basically what got us through because we had... Um, uh, we, we had to go through some crosswinds, the, the, you know, people calling you names. I don't, I don't necessarily want to mention it here, but people calling you names, which represented the idea that, you know, uh, men should be um, uh, um, engaging in uh, other types of activities right. than, 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 than this type of activity. Mm -hmm. But we pushed through because we fed off of one another. You sure mm -hmm. did. And you guys were, at the time, <coughs> see, I, um, like I say, Person's not not aware of a lot of things that happen in, in this this little island, twenty one by seven. But there is a lot of of power, a lot of talent that have left this little island, and some of them never to return uh, because of of um, I guess of how they're treated. And so, um, but I I remember at some point in time uh, at Dance Theatre of Harlem. Uh, um, there were there were a bunch of you. There was you. There was Patrick. There was Tanya Escoves uh, mm -hmm. McClure. People mm -hmm. know her. Jennifer um, uh, Stubbs, eh? Uh, yeah. uh, Rutherford. Yes. Yeah. So um, so we had a good representation out there, and there were other persons too. But all these persons are in my book, so you can read about it. It's a profile. It's not the whole thing about their life story. It's basically uh, so you can be aware of who these persons are, and these persons were amazing. And these persons were trained right here, all right? Uh, I think a lot of people get it backwards. They want to go away and train <laughs> and then get this horrible experience and go like, well, I don't want to dance no more. I don't want to do this anymore. But you got training here through Mr. Farrington at the Nassau Civic Ballet, which a lot of people are unaware that actually existed down on, on, on Sears Road right there on Shirley Street. So, and uh, at one point, uh, you... You moved over to Mr. Farrington. Um, Mr. Farrington, of course, is one of those persons who was our, like, well, first ballet dancer, so to speak, who actually um, made some impact at the Metropolitan Opera in New York City. And he had a studio right down there on Sayers Road. Um, and uh, Sean, at some point, spent a lot of time at Mr. Farrington's studio. Tell us a bit about. Mr. Farrington, tell us something about Mr. Farrington that we don't really know about. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd like to make a connection between the Dance Theatre of Harlem and Mr. Farrington because I think uh, uh, we always hear that um, Arthur Mitchell, who was um, a fabulous um, uh, black dancer and the, the first to um, uh, gain the status of principal dancer under the great um, Russian... Uh, George Balanchine. Yeah, Yes, exactly. New York City Ballet. But there is a story that predates um, Balanchine in Mr. Mitchell's life. And I, when I got to New York, um, because I was very excited um, mm -hmm. about getting a scholarship, uh, both uh, Tanya McClure, Estefes, and I, we um, got a scholarship in 1991 to study at the Dance Theatre of Harlem. But not only that, we also got into the company in the ensemble. school. Ensemble. Yeah, in the ensemble, the yes. Ensemble, yeah. The junior company, mm -hmm. um, uh, right away, mm -hmm. the minute we got there. So we had the scholarship, which paid for all of our um, uh, 
studying and whatever else we mm -hmm. needed. And then we got like a stipend, which was like a weekly stipend. Yes, a weekly stipend. Yes. Yeah. But the thing is, there's actually a connection. And I, and I actually, I wouldn't say confronted Mr. Mitchell, but I, I um, um, talked to him about it. At one time, I was sitting in his office. Uh, no, actually, when we first got there, mm -hmm. he, he, he made an effort to um, um, make us feel welcome. And he, in, he invited us um, individually to come and have a talk with him. Yes. And I said to Mr. Mitchell, Mr. Mitchell, Mr. Farrington told me that he was the first one that actually gave you a chance to dance in a ballet. And then Mr. Mitchell exclaimed, oh, yes. You know, he's very mm -hmm. um, uh, exclamatory. Mm. Oh, yes, Mr. Hubert Farrington. That's mm. right. That's, that's correct. Right. That's right. And I could... Um, uh, he brought the dance theater mm -hmm. here uh, mm -hmm. in, in um, the early 70s. Around about 70, 72, about there, something mm -hmm. like that. They did a, yeah, uh, yeah, he did. Because I remember the same, same kind of same story. Um, I know that story very well. And then when I came here and I met Mr. Farrington for the first time, of course, he told me that, that story. And I also learned too from Mr. Shook, also of the re relationship. So, uh, persons out there, um, Mr. Farrington, as a matter of fact, uh, he, he paid, he really, made a contribution in terms of union, the unionization of, of uh, dancers at the Metropolitan Opera. And also, he also was um, responsible for bringing Alex Zabane to the, the Bahamas. Um, so I don't want people to, 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 to just um, pass this history by anybody that's involved in the arts and know uh, know of Mr. Farrington, he, he played a much bigger uh, role than people can actually imagine. So you'll find out, read my book, come and purchase one when it's out, and you'll learn more about Mr. Mr. Farrington. But, John, go ahead. Yes, I agree. Mr. Farrington, for most people, was, uh, um, I would say that he was an enigmatic figure. Yes. People couldn't less couldn't necessarily place a fing finger on what type of person Mr. Farrington was or who who he was um, at all. One thing we can say for sure that he was um, a man that uh, uh, he was he was spiritual, and this reflected itself in the way that he um, uh, worked with us as dancers mm -hmm. because um, it was a hol holistic approach, mm -hmm. owing to the fact that he also. Um, uh, was involved in uh, yoga. But the thing is, what we got from Mr. Farrington, Mr. Farrington had developed his, in, in, had developed his own system of teaching. Um, I remember it so vividly um, because um, it was so dynamic. Just one thing that you, um, uh, when I watch ballets, and it could be great dancers, and I, and I see them um, uh, as a, as they're going through space, uh, their relationship to the music, the way that Mr. Farrington taught us that you have to go up quickly and, and down, so. down very softly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just that getting up out of the floor, mm -hmm. stretching the legs, jeté, and coming down slowly so that you actually precipitate the music instead of going da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Dancing with the music, it is da, 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 yes. da. So you're on top of the music. Right. He had his own system, and it was incredible that... Um, um well, you know, rightly so, Sean, 
you know, because you know he was a musician himself, not only a a, a classically trained dancer, he was also a musician, a well trained musician, a impeccably mm-hmm. yeah. seasoned musician. Yeah. You know, that played very well, who was of course trained by Mita Kamabach Davies as well. And that's I wanted to mention um Mita Davis Kamabach because I don't think you can know Mr. Farrington without knowing his teacher. Yeah, exactly. And you know uh, all of the other um, um, people that she um, uh, produced, such as uh, Cleophus Adley, for example. Clement Bethel. Yes, exactly. R- Winston Saunders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, um, uh, Mr. Farrington was um, uh, fortunate to have gotten the discipline through music. He was at the Met when... Um, he got uh, certain discipline through ballet, which allowed him to be able to build that system that, that he gave to um, his students. And uh, I think, um, when I think about it, and when I think about where we've landed, or where we are um, at present, I think we, c- um, perhaps we could have been um, better at uh, finding ways without tr- trying to be political, we could have been better at finding ways to achieve greater continuity in handing over um, the knowledge that was gained through such a figure like Mr. Farrington. For some strange reason, it's like we have so many, uh, we've had so many generation gaps subsequently. Yeah. We don't, uh, we don't uh, see the, the arts um, as, as everybody else, we there are so many aspects of the art that we are unaware of. Because, well, you know, like um, my pastor, um, the late uh, Miles Monroe, uh, he used to say, "Where purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable." All right, and <clears throat> so persons, I think we have abused the arts in this country, and because we have abused it, because we have, we have not. Um, really come to grips of what it really is. Uh, we, we are used to seeing uh, colors on stage. We are used to seeing bodies moving on stage. Um, we are used to seeing beautiful paintings. We are used to seeing wonderful uh, poetry writings and all that sort of thing. We're used to seeing it. We're used to seeing the big extravaganzas that they put there, but it really has no, no meaning as far as I'm concerned, and that's only my opinion. Right, that's only my opinion. It has no uh, has no meaning to any innate meaning, I should say. Uh, it's just a way of uh, enjoying a moment of entertainment, but not realizing that in in what you're seeing lies something greater, right? And something that's probably greater than ourselves. Um, and um, we have not reached that point. And because of that, it, it, it has not been, we haven't had uh, the continuity, um, I feel, you know. Um, we, don't, we don't understand how the arts work in terms of education, uh, educating our kids. Um, uh, we, don't, we don't really get an appreciation of how it actually helps us in developing our country, uh, exposing our culture. Um, we, what we see is really, I don't know, it's like uh, we don't see anything. We look, but we don't see. And like I always tell my students, uh, and one of my students quoted me on a paper she did, and I said to them, it's sad to have eyes but can't see. 
And so we find that persons in our country have eyes, but they're not seeing anything. And that's, and that's a sad thing. And that puts, a, puts us at a disadvantage uh, uh, when it comes to the world. Join me for the continuation of my discussion with Sean Toussaint. You're listening to Tea and Talk. The views and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entity or organizations.